You're listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast, where we take the Wall Street bull by the horns to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether it's budgeting, investing, or financial independence, we tackle the big questions in the pursuit of financial literacy. And now, your host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host. And this week, we have an interview with Dr. Rufus. Now, Dr. Rufus, I've had a lot of fun talking with just before recording this interview, but Dr. Rufus is currently the acting director of research at SidePocket, which is a mobile and web-based investment advice app that enables everyday people to invest in institutional grade automated portfolios. Now, to me personally, that sounds like something a couple other companies are doing, so I can't wait to get into it and talk to some comparing and contrasting what makes SidePocket better. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and bring them on. Rufus, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much, Alex. I appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, so um, I'm Rufus Rankin. I've been a multi-asset, multi-strategy portfolio manager and researcher for more than 12 years. And a lot of people know me because I was a part of the core team that built Equinox Funds, which was an innovative liquid alts boutique with peak AUM of more than $2 billion. And I was head of research and a portfolio manager there. Well, that's a heck of a resume there. Uh, how long were you there? How long have you been in the investment game? Gosh, about 20 years now, uh, give or take. And then I did earn a doctorate with a dissertation on dimension reduction, uh, which is a class of models that comes out of machine learning um, and using that for portfolio selection. And I also wrote a short book on the same subject. Okay. And I actually saw that. It was a multidimensional diversification. That's right. So if you have, uh, if you wrestle with insomnia, um, I've been told it can be helpful in that regard. Oh yeah. A lot of good finance books are. I've heard that sometimes my voice could be very good for lulling people to sleep talking about finance. Oh Lordy. So that was something I really wanted to ask you about. It seems that you specialize in a very particular sort of diversification, which me with a background in finance, degree in finance, working in banking, I've never really heard of this, but it's principal component analysis, and there was one more term. I think it was a tactical portfolio allocation. Um, let's go ahead and start with the thing that you actually, that you literally wrote the book on. Uh, would you mind going into multidimensional diversification and principal component analysis and sort of what the background is there? Hey, sure. I'd, I'd be happy to. So principal component analysis is actually a very old statistical technique. I believe it was invented by Carl Pearson back in the early 1900s, but it is currently used by a lot of uh, machine learning approaches as a type of uh, what's called unsupervised machine learning. That is, you kind of give the machine some data and say, you know, go see what you can find. A lot of investors are familiar with factors. So, you know, you hear about factor investing all the time. And factors are often thought of as ways to explain the behavior of stocks by grouping them according to a particular metric, for example. So a lot of factor explanations are risk-based, but not all of them. So two examples are value. Um, you hear a lot about value investing. And another one is momentum investing. So you hear that uh, both for stocks in particular, but also broad asset classes more generally. So what PCA is doing is it's kind of doing a factor analysis, but the factors that come out of the analysis are statistical. So a machine is 
looking at all the assets you feed into the algorithm and coming up with its own version of factors to analyze. There's a couple benefits to this. Number one, the factors, also called principal components, are orthogonal, which is a, a buzzword, which means independent or uncorrelated to each other. And another benefit is that they look at all the variation in the different investments you feed into the algorithm, and they figure out what's driving most of the variation. So these are two good things. You find factors that are completely independent of each other and explain a decreasing amount of the variation in your investment set. Now, there's a drawback here as well. Okay, it's kind of, you know, there's a good intuition when you think about, you know, value and why value investing may be um, a reasonable or rational or sound approach. And it kind of makes sense uh, what the value factor is looking at. The drawback with PCA or principal component analysis is that it's a machine coming up with, you know, factors itself. There's statistical factors. And as such, they don't have like an automatic, intuitive, understanding for what they mean. So it's a powerful technique, but you really need to work with it a lot in order to understand what the analysis is telling you. So with that in mind, PCA can break an investment universe down into a few key pieces that are completely independent of each other. And these relationships tend, not always, but tend to be uh, more stable and provide more insight than a simple correlation matrix. And so this process can be a big help to building better diversified portfolios. And like you mentioned, I did write a short book on this a few years ago called uh, Multi-Dimensional Diversification. Available now on Amazon. Just throw that plug out there for you. So it sounds interesting. So essentially machine learning. So Almost, it seems like at no point really a human is looking at this unless, you know, something wacky comes up and they're like, is this really what it came up with? But you have the machine, machine breaks it down into its component parts. What is driving this portfolio to do well? What is driving this stock versus that stock, this industry versus that industry? And then it sounds like it makes this sort of breakdown down to the atoms of what makes this thing move. And then from there makes its decision of, this is moving, this thing is causing this to move and it's causing it to move by this degree. Therefore, we should invest more or less into this thing because it has this breakdown of some combination of these factors. Is that more or less? I know that was rough. I, I felt myself kind of stumbling through that, but is that about right? Yeah, I, really fundamentally, you know, when you think about building a diversified portfolio, Qualitatively speaking, you can look at very basic things. You know, I can invest in businesses like stocks. I can invest in debt, you know, bonds issued by companies or countries. I can invest in hard assets like gold and silver, right? So PCA, you can think of it as another way to break up your investment, investment universe and see what's similar and what's different. That's all. So it's kind of a, another way to build a framework around identifying which investments are likely uh, to behave in similar or dissimilar fashions. So I wouldn't ever suggest that an investor just use PCA to select their portfolio. I do think it can be a very powerful and helpful tool to add to an investment process. Okay. And now let me, let me add on to this a little bit here, maybe expand. So 
is PCA a core component of what makes side pocket unique and what makes, you know, side pocket, side pocket, what makes the investment thesis a little bit better there? Well, side pocket is actually focused on tactical asset allocation. So it's not necessarily depending on uh, PCA in particular or enhanced diversification methods more generally. So it's really focused on an investment approach called tactical asset allocation. So while we may take into account diversification potential when we are selecting the different universes for our different side pockets, which we can dive into in a bit more detail, um, the main focus is on um, tactical asset allocation, which is related to but different from strategic asset allocation. Would you mind uh, expanding on that a little bit, just the tactical versus strategic? Of course. So looking at strategic versus tactical asset allocation, there's not necessarily a large difference. Strategic asset allocation typically uses pretty long-term estimates of returns, volatilities, and correlations of different assets or instruments to come up with an asset allocation. That just means how much we're gonna put in stocks, bonds, foreign stocks, et cetera. And then tends to rebalance quarterly or annually. One of the main differences with tactical asset allocation or TAA is that we're updating our views of the world and estimates of different features of the world, the investment world obviously, more frequently, which means we're probably adjusting our asset allocation more frequently. Now, a second key difference is that TAA plans ahead for bear markets and drawdowns. So, um, you know, when stocks go into a decline, there's already a plan in place for how to deal with that. Maybe you stand pat, maybe you buy more, maybe you reduce your, your exposure, but TAA tends to have as a core feature, uh, some kind of plan for what to do in market declines. Now, I think most investors react to market declines but unfortunately, a lot of investors will react kind of emotionally based on how they feel. Uh, they see you know, the stock market go down 20% or whatever it is, they start to feel bad, they start to worry, and then they go make emotional decisions. So one of the key differentiators and benefits of tactical asset allocation is that we kind of plan ahead for bear markets and put some hopefully uh, well thought out rules in place to deal with those situations. Okay. So it sounds like it's, you're looking at it as far as the differences, tactical, you're looking at it more often. And then not only are you looking at it more often, but you're looking at it and making adjustments based on a potential future outcome. And you're trying to not be emotional about it by talking about, okay, what are we going to do if XYZ happens? Okay. Well, if XYZ happens, we're going to do that because it's much better to have that conversation in the good times than it is when Rome's currently burning. Right. <laughs> well said. And I, just as you're talking, I was having flashbacks both to uh, my college years of doing strategic analysis, of taking the uh, month-end returns of a bunch of different stocks, correlating them, uh, seeing how you need to, sorry, is completely a side note, but I was just having some fun flashbacks there to college. Another thing I was wondering about tactical asset allocation is really the, well, I'm just going to say it, whether or not it really is a benefit. Because the problem with looking at something or a potential pitfall of looking at something more often is you're more likely to touch it. If you look at something monthly versus quarterly, 
that's an extra three X amount of times you're looking at stuff and going, Hmm, do, do I still like this? Do I need to switch this? Whatever, which in theory gives you a closer allocation to what you want. Cause you're touching it more often. So you're making sure it remains aligned with what you want to do. But the problem with that is that you're touching it more often. So I keep going back to, there was a fidelity study. I want to say three, four, five years ago. I'm pretty sure it was back when I was still in college where they had analyzed their returns for the past couple market corrections and uh, bear markets. And what they had found was the people that did the best and had the best returns during those drawdown periods, those bad periods, were the accounts for dead people because those accounts weren't touched. Those people weren't selling anything. They weren't buying anything. They weren't going, oh God, Rome's burning. Let me go ahead and switch all this stuff. And whoever was actually managing those accounts is too busy worrying about their own stuff that they didn't worry about, you know, uh, grandpa's uh, IRA that we forgot about. So they had a study and I got to go find it. I'm going to see if I can't find it and link it in the description where essentially dead people do the best in uh, bear markets because they don't touch anything. <laughs> that is great. And I hope you can email me um that reference because wow um yeah uh, dead people beat the market um how about that you 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 bring up some great points the more you're looking at something uh the more you're you're likely to fiddle around with it and if you don't have a good plan um you're very likely to make errors right uh that is that is definitely given i think most people when they look at tactical asset allocation they see that most of the benefit comes from uh, risk management rather than, you know, boosting returns materially because TAA does tend to kind of enforce a discipline for how to deal with bear markets. In, uh, in theory, on paper, it tends to do very well during uh, bear markets. So um, in a couple, one reference that listeners can go to, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for the work he's done is uh, Mebane Faber. He has, it's finally dropped, but uh, for like over a decade, it was the number one downloaded paper on SSRN.com. Now it's dropped to number two, but that is a quantitative approach to tactical asset allocation, again, by Mebane Faber. So that's a great kind of reference piece to look at um, how a very simple tactical asset allocation approach can keep up with uh, most diversified portfolios, but tends to have smaller drawdowns and lower volatility than a long-only uh, strategic allocation. But you, you had a great point. The more, you're, the more likely you are to look at your portfolio, the more likely you are to do something with it. And so that's really a, a big behavioral gap that we see between most active approaches to investing how they've done historically, like uh, in theory or in a back test, and what the reality is when investors attempt to use these approaches. There's a big behavioral gap because it's easy to do on paper. It's very hard to do day to day, especially when uh, Rome is burning, to use your, your, your very apt um, characterization. So that's something that we have solved for at side pocket is that we we automate this so uh, we work with you to come up with 
which types of portfolios and approaches you want to use. But we don't require investors to watch every day or week or month. We run those portfolios automatically for you. So you have transparency into what we're doing and why. You can change your allocation to different uh, side pockets or approaches whenever you like. But we are doing the, the daily, weekly, monthly checking. That is, we're watching returns, volatilities, correlations. And if there's a change needed, we go ahead and make that for you. So you're getting the benefit of tactical asset allocation. And what we are doing at SidePocket is reducing that behavioral gap between what you see in academic papers about TAA and what investors actually experience when they attempt to use these models for their own portfolios. Okay. And that's definitely, the, that behavior gap gets you every time. I mean, we already talked about the, the study with dead people, but that's the thing. You can have, as an investor, you can have, quote unquote, say there is one, the best investment philosophy, the best strategy, the one that guarantees, again, we're putting asterisks here, this is pretend, you can have the best portfolio, the best allocation, the best research, the best everything. But if there's a 40% drawdown in the market and you decide to completely abandon that and start selling stuff or, Ooh, maybe I want some less money in the market. You know, Ooh, that's, that's a, it's an awful lot of red. I don't know if I want to keep playing this game. If you don't stick to the plan, no matter what that plan is, if you don't stick to it, you're going to ruin it. Even if you have the absolute best, the top of the line. And I, I think that's what Dr. Rankin's saying here is that if you have your philosophy set up, you have it there, and then you just don't touch it. Remember, dead people are great investors. If you let the experts go and look at it and they handle the stuff and you just double check them, really, you're a, you're a second level check because you've got the computer going in, doing the stuff, making the movements. Then you have the humans behind the computer that have degrees and doctorates and have been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years. They're checking the computers. And then lastly, there's you looking to make sure that both of the first two layers are doing their job. So by having that extra step, and that's one of the advantages of having an advisor too, and of any kind, whether it be a robo advisor or something like side pocket M1, the benefit to this is that you don't have to make these decisions. You just got to sit back and let the experts do their thing. And that by itself can help your investment returns, or it can at least help you stay more aligned with what it is you're trying to do. That's, that's our hope. Uh, very well said. Um, you know, I teach, I, I teach a graduate seminar uh, sometimes at Drexel University in investment research. One of the first things I say is, how many times have you felt really bad or scared or worried about something and gone out and done something really smart? And no one ever raises their hand because, you know, when we have these more losing money on paper, at least, it's scary. It makes us feel bad. We worry a lot. We kind of run scenarios in our head of how bad it could be. And then we tend to make bad decisions. So what we're really trying to do is take, apply these models that tend to have really good results, especially at reducing risk and apply them systematically and reduce the burden on the investor to go and monitor that on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis. And so hopefully what we can do there is reduce that behavior gap and people can get better results. Absolutely. It's, I don't know why this keeps coming up, but I have to, I, it seems like I bring it up every five episodes or so. It's that Mike Tyson quote 
where everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. <laughs> then that yeah. at the window. I think uh, uh, Carlson Gracie also is famous for saying that. It's absolutely true. Um, I have a great plan and then something bad and shocking happens. Um, and suddenly the, the plans go out the window. So absolutely. <laughs> and then before I let you go, there was, I had a couple more questions about Side Pocket, if you'll uh, indulge me for a little bit. So Side Pocket is essentially you have these side pockets are what they're called, essentially mini portfolios or portfolios of goals. So you might have high growth, you might have high momentum, you might have a uh, conservative, you might have you know, retirement income. I'm just pulling these out of nowhere. I'm sure uh, Dr. Rufus Rankin is going to uh, you know, set me straight. I'm just, just coming up with some stuff here. So you can have all these sort of pre-made portfolios put that together and, you know, pick two or three, put them in to be your portfolio. So you put in a hundred dollars and you say you wanted 33 and a third percent between high growth, high momentum. And then just for funsies, a bond portfolio. So you can have these sort of mini portfolios that you put together to make your overall portfolio. Is that, is that about right there? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So you can think of it as a menu or even a marketplace of over 40 different tactical investment strategies. And they, they run automatically, but you, the investor, select them and you can change them anytime, withdraw anytime if you need to. But it, we have strategies that work for, hey, I just want to put my money somewhere safe because I'm saving up for a down payment on a house that I intend to make in three to six months. We also have, you know, as you like to say, as you said, for funsies, we have aggressive uh, or very aggressive or even speculative approaches that you definitely do not want to put a majority or a large percentage of your uh, hard-earned wealth into, but they can be fun as a way to try to get some extra growth. And then everything in between. So very, very conservative to very, very speculative and everything in between here. So great description. Thank you. Oh, it's no problem. But I got, I got to say, I kind of set you up there, though. But uh, <laughs> so I asked that because a big thing I think, especially nowadays, doesn't get talked about a lot is over diversification because it is possible to diversify everything away. I mean, there's what, four, four to six thousand publicly traded companies that you can buy stock in in the U.S. right now. And if you, it's all fine and dandy to buy all of them, but if most of the returns are coming from your top five, or you know, if you've got a thousand dollars split between six thousand companies, that's uh, I can't do math in my head. What is that? Uh, fifteen dollars per company or fifteen cents? Never do math while recording, guys. It it never goes well. But there is such a thing as over diversification because you have so little money in each particular stock or ETF or whatever it is that generally there's not really a market return which gives you a decent return. So something I see with a couple of these apps, like you've got M1, Betterment, uh, Wealthfront, and it sounds like you guys. And I don't want to, I say it sounds like because I don't have a lot of experience with y'all. I don't want to put y'all in a bucket. But it feels like to me, like if you can have say five or six of these side pockets, I mean, each side pocket probably has, you know, what, 50, 100 things that it's invested in. So a, a worry that I would have there would be about over diversification. So I was wondering if you could go into 
over diversification and why I'm way too panicky and overreacting. You raise a very fair point. There's there's over diversification, and some people even refer to it as uh, diversification. There's de- that's definitely something to guard against, but I think there's a wide spectrum of approaches to dealing with that. Now, at side pocket, not all of the individual side pockets are very broadly diversified. Um, some of them focus just on uh, equities or uh, fixed income. And some of them are more broadly diversified or have a broader universe. So depending on which side pocket you look at, the universe may be very broad uh, or very narrow. And so that's one way to approach it. The other one is, I think Warren Buffett, who's, who's just a treasure trove of, of fun uh, sayings, I think he was fond of saying diversification is for people who do not know what they're doing. Another one I like is Professor uh, Wes Gray, the Alpha Architect, the CEO of alphaarchitect.com. I'm not sure if he came up with this, but he's the one I heard it from, is that uh, concentration builds wealth and diversification protects wealth. So that's kind of like two aspects of investing is how concentrated do we want to be? That should be proportional to some extent to your confidence in the views you're taking. But if you are not uh, completely confident, then you should probably also protect yourself by using diversification. So that is a very challenging issue. I don't have a specific, particular, perfect answer to guarding against over-diversification or diversification, which I think was coined by uh, Professor Serge Labiton, but I may be mistaken on that attribution. So I think that's, you know, by being aware of it, and I think it's great that you bring it up, uh, we can be thoughtful in how we build our portfolio or how we set up our approach to investing so that uh, we can guard against that issue along with all the other pitfalls that we face as investors. Well, you actually answered that exactly how I want. Well, not exactly how I wanted you to, because I don't want to put words in your mouth. But so the setup question was that first one. And this was another setup just to set up this because, you know, 3D chess is what we play around here. I guess 4D chess, ah, whatever. I played myself. The point I'm trying to make here is that what Side Pocket and all these other investment apps are doing is they are giving you good ideas. They're giving you good pieces. Hey, here, if you're looking for momentum, look, here's a momentum portfolio. You're looking for something more defensive. Here's that. You're looking for something that just tracks SP 500. Here you go. They're giving you, like Rufus said, a menu. It's a cafeteria, if you will. Walk along, pick what you want, put it in. Something that I think is a trap that people fall into is they hear this word diversification. Don't put it all in one basket. And I think what goes over some people's head is that, and again, I don't know this for sure, I'm just making it up. Say there's a side pocket that's, let's call it medium growth, aggressive growth. We're going to be aggressive today. If you put 100% of your money in that aggressive growth, there is a percentage of people that will look at that and say, oh, I've got all my money in one thing. Well, everyone keeps saying diversification, diversification, diversification. So I can't have it all in one thing. Next thing you know, that investor has 10 different side pockets. He's, they got everything. They got the aggressive growth, the medium aggressive growth, the not aggressive growth, the defensive. They've got the bonds. They've got the tips. They've got the treasuries. Next thing you know, this person's invested in 10 side pockets. And they're like, oh, my money's not in one place. It's in 10 places. 
But you got to keep in mind, depending on the side pocket, depending on what these slices are, that aggressive growth might be invested in 100 companies. So don't look at it as, oh, I put 100% of my money in the aggressive growth. Therefore, I'm way too concentrated. I'm, I'm not diversified. All my money is in one thing. Sure, your money might be in one thing that you put into your pie, your side pocket, your portfolio. But that one thing is made up of a hundred things. So I think a trap people fall into is, you know, they don't want to be put in one of these. It's a portfolio. It's not one asset. So diversification kind of loses its meaning there. Don't have 10 of these side pockets in your portfolio is what I'm trying to say. It's a very long-winded explanation. If you have one of them, chances are you're pretty diversified. These people are experts. They've been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years. They know what they're doing. That's right. So uh, one side pocket may have a universe of over 100 different instruments, um, or it may be very concentrated. And so we do attempt to have uh, good education and guidance in terms of the relative risks of different side pockets, as well as you know how aggressive or conservative they are, so that investors can make good choices about which side pockets to select. But you may be extraordinarily well diversified just using a single side pocket, but it may be a better fit to use three, five, or even seven different side pockets. And that's the thing. That's it depends. What are you trying to do? Which side pockets are you in? You gotta, you just really, you just gotta look at it. You gotta make sure that you are invested how you want to be invested. You might not be skilled enough or trust yourself to put together your portfolio. So you go to an app like Side Pockets to have the experts put together a portfolio. Nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of things to focus on in this world. Not everybody has to focus on picking good investments. There are other people that are good at that let them do it. That's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But look into what it is they're picking. Look into what it is you're putting into your portfolio. You can know that these side pockets are very well constructed, but overall, you still need to put that portfolio together for what you want. And again, you're the second level check. So you've got the machines and you've got the people with 10, 15, 20 years of experience looking at it. All you really have to do, I mean, there's, there's not going to be trash in there. Like I haven't, I haven't really examined side pockets. And even if I could, I'm not necessarily an expert, but I seriously doubt they have a side pocket that's full of nothing but trash and you're going to lose your money. These things are good. You just need to look at it and say, is this right for me? And will it work in my portfolio? And I am so sorry, Dr. Rankin. I've gotten on my soapbox like four times during this episode already. I wasn't planning on it. It just happens. Oh, it's great. I, I really, I love the enthusiasm and passion. I share it with you and, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate the insights too. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Alrighty, Dr. Rankin. And I think with that, I think it's about time to start moving towards a conclusion here. It's been a great conversation, but you know, a great conversation needs a good ending. And so all of my audience knows what's coming next. So what I'm going to ask of you, Rufus, is for a single mic drop statement that you'd like to leave us with. Now, this can be anything. This could be something, you know, your favorite college professor has said, something, a piece of advice that you live your life by. It could be an investing thing. It could be something about side pockets, literally anything. If you could give us one mic drop statement that you'd like to leave us with. So I could be partially tongue in cheek and, and share um, what my, when I was a philosophy major long ago, uh, what my, my mentor and professor told me when I asked him 
we were doing uh, metaphysics and ontology. What's the world really made of? And he just paused and said, it's all soul, man. I don't think it's particularly helpful in the context of this discussion, but I will, I will talk a, a bit about philosophy. And I think the important thing to do is, you know, take a little time and look at the world, look at the world of investments and think about how you think it works. Second, think about what you can do about uh, the investing world based on how you think it works and operates. Then the third thing to do is to ask yourself how much work you want to put in every day, week, month, year, decade to going after your investment goals or, or building your investment portfolio and managing it. Because investment management is very hard. Diversification is important. It's not the only thing, but it is important. And having a good game plan, whether it's systematic or not, whether it's rule-based or not, whether it's strategic or tactical, having a game plan is very important. So think through those key pieces, those key ideas, and revisit it from time to time. Your best approach may be to work with a human financial advisor. It may be to uh, work with a robo-advisor. Maybe I'm just going to buy a target date fund. But think through those questions. What do you believe about the investment world, the world of investments, how it works? What do you think you as an investor can do about it? What behaviors can you engage in to get you towards your goals? And finally, how much of that work do you want to do yourself? Because uh, you can outsource all of it to a variety of different uh, helpers or advisors or apps, um, or you can do it all yourself. So somewhere in that continuum of doing it all yourself, do it yourself, uh, and have someone do everything for you, that will be the right fit for you. And so that's what I'd leave you with. All right. So last thing, Rufus, Dr. Rankin, I should probably say Dr. Rankin, you've, you've definitely earned that. <laughs> Where can my audience go to find out more about you, more about SidePocket? Sure. Thanks. The easiest way to uh, find out more about me or follow me is just find me on LinkedIn. It's just uh, LinkedIn slash N slash Rufus Rankin. And then to find more information about SidePocket, you can go to www.sidepocket.com. So S-I-D-E-P-O-C-K-E-T.com. All righty. Everything we talked about today will be linked in the description below. So make sure you guys check that out. Dr. Rufus, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a blast. Alex, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. It's no problem at all. And then for all of you at home, you have plenty of things to look at, plenty of links to go check out. And remember, when the times get rough, invest like a dead person. I'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, make sure you share with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.